Welcome back to another episode of Seeking Refuge. This is Emily Jensen and Sanvi Samani, and we are here with Detina and Argita Zali, co-founders of the nonprofit We Speak Science, to discuss the big picture. Hi, we are so excited to speak with y'all. We were hoping that we could first start with y'all taking a second to introduce yourselves for our audience. Um, thank you so much, Emily, for um, giving us the opportunity to share our story with you. So I'm Detina, I'm the five minute younger twin, and, and I'm Argit, I'm always the five minutes oldest, but um, it looks like I'm six months older than her. Sometimes I, she says I act like her mom, and so I'm very protective, and yeah. And we are both scientists, and I work at the University of Cambridge, when I'm director of pre-medical studies. Before that, I was um, um, doing my research studies at Harvard University, and I also directed many courses for graduate um, students, for PhDs, for doctors, and I had the opportunity to work with world-class leaders in this field. And uh, I am a scientist, I'm an immunologist, but I kind of left science behind for a few years. At the moment, I'm focused much more on um, teaching pedagogy in the medical school in Imperial College, where I'm actually the learning designer lead in the Faculty of Medicine for um, online courses and blended programs. And, and we are the authors of the book, Good Morning Hope, which um, is out. It's been out since the 7th of March in the US. We're here to share our story and, and hopefully to inspire uh, a lot of people who, like us, um, are finding themselves in difficult circumstances and need hope and need some kind of courage and drive to push through their dreams and uh, fulfill their full potential. So first question is kind of relating to that um, dreams and aspirations. So last night I watched your TED talk. Wonderful. Um, and so in it, you have a big importance on, you know, dreams and aspirations, but also on change. So can you share how your aspirations have changed throughout your lifetime? To be honest, one common thing that we've had throughout our lives is persistence to follow our dreams and um, inspire our others and and also make sure that you know it, it's very simple but we want to make sure that our parents were proud of us because they sacrificed so much throughout their lives and the least we could do is to prove them that they were right for taking this difficult journey and and, and being refugees because we did manage to get where we wanted to and um aspirations haven't really changed much. I don't think you, you, you can change aspirations much. I think it's a matter of having that desire and persistence to make sure that you're the best version of yourself all the time and taking opportunities uh, whenever they come, whatever opportunity it is. Sometimes it may feel like, oh, this is not for me. It doesn't work because I can see myself somewhere else. But sometimes it can open new doors and you can meet new people and then new opportunities may arise that you didn't even think, um, you know, there could there could have been there. And also it, it opens door to the future, to the unknown future where many jobs will be created, names of the jobs we don't even know of. And that's, how, that's why I say that for me, it's been a matter of taking each opportunity, having that drive and strength to make sure that I'm the best version of myself and I can achieve the best that I can and, and, and inspire people making a positive impact in the society and being true to yourself, being authentic about who you are and what your true values are. And the true values never change. 
And yes, um, I fully agree with Arkita. So persistence is something that we've really had since we were young kids. Uh, obviously, when you are coming from a poor country like Albania, where you are experiencing so many difficult situations, um, going to these good universities or prestigious universities or working hard, it's something that comes automatically because you've already been through so many hard things which are really difficult compared to the career or anything else. And, and it's about that resilience that everybody should have nowadays in an uncertain future. It's about falling and getting up again, failing and rising to success. It's kind of a, it's a circle that we all have to accept as human beings. And um, it's, it's just part of of life and you have to make sure that you have the strength to go with it. And as I mentioned before, be the best version that you can. Thank you for that. That was really great. So the two of you explain your story and your TED talk and more in depth in your book, Good Morning Hope. What were your motivations in writing the book? What was your goal with putting your story out there in general, I guess? So the book yeah. started when we were actually, when we were in France waiting outside to go inside the trucks. So, you know, there were all many refugees out there trying to chase this dream of going to the UK. So it was night, it was a terrible situation like in the movies. And I mean it like in the movies where you had to wait for, it was, it must have been like 2 a.m. in the night, something like this. You had to wait for the guards to change. You had two minutes time to climb the fence and, go inside the truck like like you were um innocent criminal i would say and basically while because we were scared and we were looking at everything we said okay let's do something and perhaps we should write our book so we found a dirty piece of paper outside we used the um, clock light there you know those watches that have some lights and we started writing the first pages of the book and we said to our father one day our story will become famous actually i remember that um we had a camera my dad had a camera at that time in 1999 the cameras were very very expensive and not many people had them in albania and i i kind of went to the luggage because we had four luggages with us and i just grabbed the camera and i was ready to take a picture of all the refugees lying outside in the field and my dad was like what are you doing what do you think you're doing because you see there were so many young men there that were involved in all sorts of things like drug dealers prostitution and i was like i'm gonna take a picture because i have to tell this story this cannot end here this is crazy and he didn't let me take the pictures obviously for obvious reasons because he was scared of what could happen but we kept the promise and there you go the book is out and everyone you know, can hear about it now and the story of many other refugees because it doesn't only represent our story, it represents the story of so many different Albanians or other refugees throughout the world who have gone through a difficult journey. For example, what I can say now is that we are working, we are helping a lot of students from Ukraine by offering them free STEM education and when they hear our story, they see themselves in this story right now, that what's happening to them. So we very much relate to, to these people who are still going through the hardship and through the difficult situation that we once were. And it's very important not to forget that because humanity is the greatest success that you can have. Um, so one thing that you guys both mentioned is that before you traveled to the UK, your parents um, had you learning other languages when you were young. And so could you talk a little bit about the value of language to you? 
It's very important. I mean, our mother always wanted to um, us to be very successful in the, you know, so ever since we were like six years old, she would tell people how proud she was of us. We were the first in the class. And then it went from the class to the school. We were sometimes embarrassed. We would probably tell our mom, hey, don't say anything, don't say anything. She was so proud. It's like she predicted our journey. It was like a prediction. She was always one step ahead of us. And while we didn't believe in ourselves sometimes, you know, when you're a kid, you just do the homeworks and you get a good grade and that's it. She really believed in our journey. And um, she started to teach us Italian when we were little kids, like at, year, uh, at the age of five. And I have to say that we were really, really keen to learn because it also depends on the child, you know. And um, we started to learn languages then through by watching TV. And those really, really helped us. Then we studied English. It really helped us, especially when we first arrived in the UK, where our parents did not speak English. So we had to take responsibilities of an adult, talking to solicitors, social services, acting as interpreter for many other refugees. But also it taught us about different cultures as well, like uh, Italian culture is very similar to Albanian culture. British culture is a bit different from Albanian culture, but it's, it's opened our eyes to the new world that we didn't envision before. And it was it was very important for us to be able to to communicate and learn. And it's I think every child, every parent should encourage their kids to to learn about different cultures and, and the world and and languages, because it's an enriching learning journey that uh, each student or each person should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, how are you encouraging your sons to learn different languages and what languages are you teaching them? Well, we, we speak Albanian while we are at home. We try <laughs> our best, to be honest, because sometimes they switch to English. So we, we switch to English and we forget. And I kept, tell, I kept telling my husband, please speak in Albanian so that they can have that. So they, they all or all our kids speak Albanian, but they're only young. So um, <laughs> my youngest one is three years old and uh, my oldest one is four and a half, nearly five. And yeah, and I also have two young sons nearly well one is five and one is six and the, the only thing that we you know sometimes we have to negotiate with kids as well so if i want them to uh, to learn something i tell them that well if you do this you get this and obviously boys are a little bit lazier than girls so if we negotiate as between if there's a negotiation between a parent and a child i think you can you know push them a little bit and then we also have to follow the children's passion if we really think that they really want to do it you 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 know you, you encourage them but you feel like that they really don't want to do it or if they are good at something else and you i think it's very important for a parent to follow the children's dream not their dreams and and also i think i was just thinking the other day about putting amos my oldest son into um, a spanish school so he can learn spanish but again because he's very young and he's just starting the letters and is already bilingual. I just don't want to confuse him at this stage. And maybe I'll wait a little bit longer, like a year or so. Maybe cool. Mm-hmm. I'm bilingual. So like everything you're saying, I know I've heard from my parents too. They were actually told not to teach my older sister how to read and how to write and read in Hindi because they were like, oh, she'll be confused. And this was like an official speech therapist, right? So of course they were going to listen. But now we can't read or write our mother tongue, which is a little uncomfortable. You know, it makes us a little unhappy. And so 
kind of going back to the value of language, you mentioned some of your personal interactions with language kind of as a barrier, how, you know, you served as translators for your parents or you made sure things were safe and sound. So how do you think those have shaped your current goals and aspirations or what you're currently working on? I think that's been very important. Um, if you think like at the age of 13, we were communicating with very big people, uh, heads of social services, we even due to the difficulties that we had with our documents in the UK, our papers in the UK, we also had to request meetings with the MPs, with the people from parliament. So doing something like that for a, a very young teenager, you know, it's something. So this was the start. And then if I think of my career now collaborating, for example, with Nobel Prize winners, to me, this is not very a big difference between what I've done at 13 years old, because even at 13 years old, due to the difficult situation, I was communicating with people from, with the deputies, with people from parliament, just to help us get the UK visa. So that transition has been very natural. At the end of the day, we haven't really changed. It's always been like, when you go through so much difficulty situations, you and where you have no choice but to interact with them, even though we were shy, of course, we we're very shy in the beginning, you know, you don't know English, you don't, you don't know the very well the English culture. You don't know how these people is going to respond to you, whether they will meet with you or not. You go through this rejection. Sometimes, obviously, we had many rejections and like everybody else. And then you become immune to the word no. So even if somebody doesn't want to meet with you or they, they are not willing to help very much, there are a lot of people who might be able uh, to help. So this has really shaped us in a way that um, we never give up. And I think it, it comes down to resilience. What she described, what Ifna described, is, is just about resilience, you know, standing up every time you fall. It's about the fact that when we were 13, we didn't even realize who these people were. So we weren't scared. We had nothing to lose. And when you have nothing to lose, going forward is the only way of achieving what you want. And also it's about confidence. You gain confidence throughout the journey, become more resilient, and you say, hey, I have done this in the past, so I can do this in the present. And and that's why I think it's very important for kids nowadays, especially nowadays with the kind of a changing world, to take responsibilities, to be involved in big projects, um, interact with different people from different backgrounds, you know, different social class, so they can learn the social skills and have the confidence to be mature enough to carry on their own dreams and know what they want in the future. Yeah, so next I was hoping we could speak a little bit about your visa journey and just kind of like you mentioned how y'all had to do all the translating and that y'all had to reach out to members of parliament and y'all had to be the ones doing so much of that. Could you just speak a little bit about that process or about that process being on um, a 12, 13 year old? Yeah, I mean, 13 years old is actually the most difficult age because it's the age when you just become a teenager. And if I remember back in Albania, we had this dream. And this dream was to move away from Albania because of the crisis that happened, the civil war in Albania. We tried for years to firstly go to United States of America without success. Then we wanted to go to Canada, no success. And then eventually the UK kind of option was out there. So we, we had to go for the UK. Um, but when you're in Albania, when you're 13 or 12, you're like, you, you imagine this world 
of magic, basically. You know, you look at the Disney movies, Cinderella, princesses, and you think like, oh, when I go there, I will have a princess uh, dress and I will have this Mickey Mouse bag, which we never had because we were poor. I will have this Mickey Mouse pencils. And this is this is a dream that we had. But of course, when we went, when we came to UK, we realized that this is not what we had dreamt dreamt for. This is completely different. You know, England was no magical place to be. On the contrary, we had lost our friends. You know, we were longing to be close to our family members, and we found our, ourselves thrown in this deep end, where we had no choice but to go ahead. So, of course, it was difficult, very, very difficult. And there was a moment that I hated my life. And I'm sure Dettina hated her life, too, because we were thinking, hang on a second, I'm 13 years old. I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to take all these responsibilities. It felt like we were the parents of our parents. And we were the parents of every other refugee, Albanian refugee, that were out there who were depending on us to translate or, you know, piece of paper or to go with them for support in uh, social services appointments or GPs. On top of that, we started working at the age of 13 after school. So we worked, so we went to school from 8 till half 3, 4 p.m. And then after that, from 5 till half 9, 10 p.m., we were working. And so our life was really, really difficult. And we didn't expect that. There were all sorts of emotions. There were anger, there resentment that we couldn't have that childhood that we wanted to. Uh, we, I even remember we had this magical Rotunda Park outside our balcony uh, in the hotel that, where the social services put us. And we were looking at other kids and we were like, maybe we will go there one day too. So it was just out there, like 100 meters away, and we never went there. And just wanted to mention also briefly that when you are under, under pressure, when you are under this situation where you have an uncertain future, you don't really have time to think. You just have time to act. And at that time, you know, you don't really think, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. You just don't have time. You're running out of time. Imagine you have the papers that expire in the next two months and you can't lose time. You just have to fight for your stay in the UK or you have to fight you know, to find a job because we had borrowed a lot of money from, you know, our people in Albania. And we had, in case we had returned, we, we had to return back, we had to give the money, which we didn't have. So when you have no other option, the only option is to go forward. Do you think that also applies to like healing generational trauma? You know, you kind of bring up parent reparenting your parents um, and other adults in your life. And as like the child of a, of immigrants that's something that really rings true for me as well because I think it's to some extent kind of a universal experience and so I wanted to ask you know we kind of I feel like we get into this chain of events of, of our parents surviving so that we can thrive um, and then we continue to struggle to thrive we start surviving so that our kids can thrive and then it's a cycle that continues onwards and onwards is there do, do you think you know with healing that you know, generational trauma or generational um, pain. Do you think that's also one of those things where it's like their only way through is forward? Yeah, I mean, the only way through is forward. I mean, and I find myself very much in what you said, your words. Our parents struggle so we could thrive. And then as parents, we try to do our best for our children to thrive, although we don't have the same struggles at the moment because we've been through that once. Right. 
really, which is actually, I wouldn't say only thrive because when they, when our parents, um, you know, suffered, we suffered as well in that case. So it was like a, a family, a whole family suffering. And obviously there are things that have made us us and there are some experiences that you can never forget. You always bring them with you. And um, and I, I'm sure Gita and I, we still have, you know, uh, it would be nice to tell you that, yeah, we never struggle. We, we've gone through that now and we're done and that's it. No, it, there are moments where we struggle again due to our past experiences. But we always remember, you know, there's a light in, in at the end of the tunnel that we've been going through these things once and we know that we can succeed. So hope and, you know, um, you know, the desire to help others to be humans, I think is very important, is what what keeps us going. But I also think that, um, you know, with all the trauma that's happening with all the refugees around the world, including ourselves in the past, you know, we, ne we never had a chance to really look after ourselves and take a moment and reflect and really heal because we didn't have time, as the Tina mentioned. We were just on the verge of being returned to Albania. But I would really recommend and I would really advise for everybody who's going through this, you know, take time for yourself, take time to reflect. Some people let their feelings ex express their feelings better by writing. We wrote a book. So some might write a diary or a journal, whatever they, they, they have. But also um, it's very important to talk to people, um, communicating with others about what you're feeling, sharing your story or experiences. And, you know, it's very important to emphasize that helping each other's mental health is, is crucial, especially in this, in this world where we're living in, um, in a fast changing world where, you know, everything changes so fast that, you keep running, but sometimes you just need to stop and say, hey, you know, this is time that I need for me and I need to heal and in order to be better and uh, be greater than what I am. Hmm. So next question, kind of turning towards We Speak Science. Um, how is We Speak Science um, kind of as an initiative you guys are taking, allowing you guys to give yourself that time or that space to heal? Is it in a way a way for you guys to heal? Um, so basically, We Speak Science started when I was at Harvard University. And I was thinking about, I was actually doing an experiment in the lab. And uh, what came in my mind was like, how, well, I'm here at Harvard, at school, but how can I help other people who are really, you know, um, struggling to get a better education? So I said to myself, well, I can't bring Harv all of them to Harvard, but maybe I can bring Harvard here. So then um, I created a team of Harvard academics and other prestigious university academics. And then we got together and we offered some courses for students from low socioeconomic backgrounds, which were still carrying on. And this is a way, you know, to feel, um, to feel that I'm doing something for the younger me. When I was young, nobody helped me. I had to struggle. I had to go everywhere. I had to learn the hard way. I fall many times down and sometimes I didn't know which direction to go. And um, imagining a younger me, uh, we said that let's give this opportunity to those students who are like us in our situation when we were uh, 20 years ago. And this is how We Speak Science started. And now we are helping students from Ukraine, but also students from the US and from the UK that comes from low socioeconomic backgrounds from low ethnic minorities and you know we're very happy to help them.
such a great initiative. I'm also like pre-med, so knowing that there's more access to things that are very, you know, kind of kept under lock and key is just really, really nice to hear. So I'm probably going to completely butcher the pronunciation, but the Aphrodita I'm initiative um, is Aphrodita Ime. Is my Aphrodita Ime. Okay. Um, I saw a little bit about that on your website, and I was hoping you could share a little bit more about that. And so our, our mom uh, was a cancer patient, and very close to our mom. And um, you know, being scientists, we keep reading or read the um, kind of the side effects of the medications she was taking, the chemotherapy. We always are by her side, and. We received a lot of requests from Albanian people, especially, about these um, side effects of the medications that we're taking, because in Albania, there's a different medical system, and it's mostly private. You have a public services, but also the private services, but um, people don't really know, or they don't really understand uh, what chemotherapy is specifically as in what specific side effects it can cause you and all diagnosis of cancer. So we thought, um, well, we are here to help others. And apart from We Speak Science, we took this initiative called Aphrodita Ime to help. And Aphrodita Ime means my Aphrodita. Aphrodita is our mother's name uh, because everyone has an Aphrodita in their family, a sister, a mother, a friend. And um, every month we gather together um, we invited uh, oncologists or other scientists, uh, other speakers from all over the world to be part of our initiative. And they took a lot of questions from the patients in Albania. And uh, we were there always to translate um, and also form that community in Bashkia of Tirana in, 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 in Albania, where to allow a lot of cancer patients meet each other, to form that community that didn't exist uh, before and talk to each other, you know, uh, provide psychological support. We also had a psychologist in Tirana who could see the patients and provide some advice. So that proved to be really successful and something that we are very proud of. And it's one of the most important projects that we have carried. That's really beautiful. And I think it's so great the emphasis on like community because community is how you get through literally anything so I think that's really really amazing thank you yeah and I also want to add I think it's just like once again so beautiful so impressive I'm very grateful that you guys are doing this because um like with terms of science communication right being able to communicate science to people who don't who aren't necessarily scientists or doctors um not only are you doing that with a you know community of adults but you're also working to make it so that younger generations are also getting increased ability to communicate science and just thinking about the ripple effects that that will have both in terms of like in communities all around the world and I think also thinking about it kind of in terms of the last couple of years with COVID we really saw how important science communication was um, I was actually I talk a lot in my classes about how TikTok was very impressive because it allowed science communication to take on a new form but you guys are also doing that. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I think it's uh, something else I want to add is it's important to remember that when we leave this world, we will take nothing with us. We will not take, because I think sometimes of the big people, Elon Musk, Kanye West, all these billionaires, um, 
although they are inspiring and changing the world and in many cases in a better way, um, I just want to emphasize that when we leave this world, we will take nothing with us apart from what will remain is the actions that we've done for others, how many people we've helped, because we will just be a memory in people's minds. So I think this is very important to remember. We're, we're not going to be eternal. So let's make the best of this time to make us happy. And you can get happiness by giving others. And, and also you have one chance to live this life, only one chance. So make sure that you use that chance that was given to you. Okay, so pivoting a little. Um, one of the things you talk about in your TED talk is that you talked about how in that moment with immigration officers, you know, you're not even, you weren't even fully certain if they actually believed you saying that you guys were going to a conference or not. And so kind of just like general hypothetical question, do you think there is always a benefit to knowing the full truth? Um, or do you think there are times where not knowing everything is, is more powerful or is better for you? What do well, you think about that? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, in that particular situation when we were with immigration officers, I'm pretty certain that they knew the truth because they told us when we left, go away before I change my mind. I oh. think we felt um, when we said to him, thank you, sir, I'll never forget what you've done for us, for letting us through. Um, they said, go, go away before I change my mind. So I think he was pretty certain he knew that, you know, if you have a a visa expiring in one day, and if you are going on a business trip, it doesn't really make sense um, to take, to, your, to, to take to your daughters with you. I, I think he felt sorry for us because he saw that we're really fighters. He saw that we spoke Italian, which we didn't even know that we spoke. It was the first time we ever spoke in our life. We were pretty fluent, which was really surprising. He saw us that we spoke English because we then turned conversation to English and he involved all the other, his colleagues. So I think, you know, sometimes um, it's best, sometimes, you know, um, uh, to be honest, I feel like the truth always comes out. So even in that instance, they, they knew the truth. So I think one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest um, characteristics that Tina and I have is 100% honesty and um, just be who you are, be authentic and tell people what you're doing as long as you explain it and you back it up. Um, because sometimes it's, it's really easy for people not to, um, you know, to, to judge without really hearing the whole story. But once they hear the story, then, you, you know, it's that empathy that every human being has or that I want to believe that every single human being has. And they're there to support you even more. So even in that instance, they knew exactly where we were going, but they just let us go because they felt sorry for us. But obviously they couldn't shout it out that you're you're going, you know, um, you're not going where you told us, where our parents told but us. But we, we don't know for, we're not 100% sure about this, but yeah. we think this is what, the, this is the beauty of it. We're not 100% sure, but we think that they knew the truth. And is that truth like, part of the motivation for the book and that what you mentioned of like hearing the story gives empathy and gives understanding is that part of your goal in absolutely. making sure you release it absolutely i mean in in the news and we've seen so many years over the time you know albanians getting on the track they, they come illegally to uk you know be careful because you know more albanians are getting on the track but in our case as it's explained in our book 
Firstly, we had no idea that our journey involved tracks. We were lied by a group of mafia and they already had the money that we had. So we had nothing to lose but to go with it. Because if we didn't go, you know, who know? We were scared for our own lives. We knew what would happen. They had guns. So there was no way of turning back. And that is exactly what we've explained in the book. We were told that you go to UK with a regular visa by plane. And on the day of traveling, they told us, oh, no, where do you think you're going? This is not what's going to happen. Now, imagine my dad shocked, you know, and the whole family, like, what do we do? Do we go ahead or we don't? And then you have all these people with guns around you. Anything can happen at a time. You have no choice but to protect your own lives. So like us, there's been thousands of other Albanians who weren't told the truth about the journey. And that's why they ended up in trucks. That's why I wanted to raise my voice and um, tell people that, hey, this is not always true. You know, you might have a lot of others that know exactly what they're doing. But in many others, like in our case, we had no idea. But I also want to emphasize that even if it was trucks, let's say if they knew they were with trucks, if your life is in danger as a parent, I'm speaking as a parent now, not as a child, you definitely yeah. take the truck. You I do agree. anything. You know, sometimes people, when I was a little kid, I used to think how lucky the American people were because they were born in America and they had this, they could do everything they can and how unlucky I was that I was in a country where I had no opportunities. And all I wanted was this luck, which I didn't have, of course. Um, but then, you know, you need to you need to make your own future. You need to work for it and you need to take chances. Life sometimes is unfair. We all know this. There are many poor children. There are many orphan children who are suffering. There are many kids who die of hunger. But we cannot change that. We, will, we should try to give the people as much as we can so that we can make small changes if we cannot make global changes. And also it's important not to judge people, you know, no matter you know where they're from or how they came to UK or to the States. You know, they have a story to tell and nobody is in their shoes. So um, it's very important to be empathetic and help one another and support one another because that's what humanity is all about. And I also think something else I wanted to share. When I, when I was a little kid, I remember there were some Italian people coming to our country during that time to support Albanians. And I remember I met one with them. I sh he shook my hand. And I didn't even want to wash my hand because I used to see these Italians as gods or this American as gods. And, um, you know, you need to tell people that everybody is equal. Everybody has the right. An American is no better than Italian or an Italian is no better than an Albanian. We are all human beings and we all have the right should make it you know it's there's nothing wrong with asking for other opportunities so kind of on the note of opportunities um one of the i think it's the episode that'll come out right before this one um we had um isaac james on and he mentioned the statistic about in 2019 one percent of refugees had access to higher ed education and in 2021 that had risen to six percent um and so I just wanted to like ask about um, your experiences and how like access to higher education and college um, really like shaped you. And like from what I read in your book, it really seemed like y'all fought for that opportunity and y'all made that happen. Um, so I just wanted to hear a little bit more about like 
your perspective with that. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, um, kids have so many opportunities, you know, with the social media, different websites, different online programs, or, you know, different videos explaining exactly what the program is about and what they're going to get out of it at the end. In our case, we really didn't. We didn't even know whether we were going to be accepted at the university or not, because we didn't have the papers uh, to be accepted. So we had to really work with the social services who contacted then the, the you know, several key people in the home office to speed up the process so we could get the papers and go to university. And that was pretty stressful. I don't, like nowadays, students don't even think about that. They all think about the, writing out their CV, their cover letter, you know, going to um, different um, people who might advise them about what career opportunities is better or suits better for that person. But um, we, yeah, we, we didn't even have that. And also we knew that we wanted to be initially doctors, but because we didn't have the papers, we couldn't get in. So um, then uh, University of Sussex allowed us to study molecular medicine. And then from there, we did PhD myself at the University of Birmingham, Detinat University uh, of Leicester. But I have to say that the teachers, the English teachers have been absolutely great and they've been very supportive and the head teacher as well. Uh, we had a great, great relationship uh, with, with the teachers. They knew we were very good kids. We were probably the best kids um, in, in the class. And also they felt um, a bit sorry for us because we had to go through so many different things. And in addition, we had to also go through bullying at school because we were the foreigners, you know, we were the twins. And there were no twins at the school and we were coming from Albania and, and at that school there were not many refugees. So if you think about it, all the different kind of stresses that we had at home with the papers, working um, kind of stress, school stress, and then kind of the social aspect of it, we were very isolated and we had nobody giving us a hand. I remember every birthday, it was sad days. Uh, maybe we had two friends and, and that was it, but then we were very much on a, it wasn't a good period in that time in our lives and I guess that's another thing that pushed us further to reach our dreams and say look this cannot end here we have to make it happen we've gone through so many things we can't stop here we have to make it happen and it will happen mm -hmm. so in your TED talk you kind of talk about how in school there was that kind of title you were given of that of refugee twins and you talk about how it goes from being an insult um, to becoming a badge of honor. So I wanted to ask if there were any specific moments that you can remember that kind of helped that process along or um, any, you know, any specific feelings or if it was more of like just one day you woke up and it was, you know, where you were like, I'm not going to take this as an insult anymore. I think what I can say briefly is that, um, you know, you are who you are, so you cannot change who you are. And some people will like you, some people will not like you. This is the truth. So um, you get tired of fighting with people. So if you cannot beat them, as they say, join them. So when they used to say as refugees, we'll probably say, yeah, we're refugees. And that's it. The conversation would end and uh, we just ignore them. You know, the more defeats you have, the stronger you are. And the more you fall down, the more you get up. So it was like a process. And also we had each other. It's very important, you know, we, we, we are best friends. So it's, it's different when you're by yourself. But when you have someone else to support you, 
you know, you're double stronger, you know, but also mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I had so many moments when I was by myself and that, Tina, and I remember I was taking this chemistry test once and one of my, um, well, school friends, she wasn't a colleague, let's say, she said to me, Argita, you will fail. You know, this was so hurtful that I still remember it after so many years. Mm -hmm. Now I got the best mark in the chemistry exam in the whole school, but still I remember what she said, mm -hmm. you know, and so it doesn't matter what they say, just do you and be by being you, you can just be the best, best version of yourself and just don't let anybody else limit you or limit your potentials. Nobody can limit your potentials. You create your own destiny. The other thing that I wanted to mention quickly is that these people who are bullying other people, I think we should take a look at from their perspective as well, because many of them might be suffering. Many of them might have mental health illness or many of them might have a very bad situation home or they are so depressed and so upset that they want to take it out on other people. So I think um, while not I'm not while I'm not you know justifying them, I think it's also very important for the teachers and other people to help these people because there are some good people, but who are going through such a difficult time, they are stuck in a toxic environment, perhaps in their family or I don't know, and uh, because there's always good in human beings, and that's what we found out for ourselves. You know, the people that bullied us. We eventually became very good friends because they met, they they eventually worked with us in 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 the as a waitress in the hotel that we used to work, and we could not believe it. It was like surreal. Like you are a different person at school, but then by getting to know them, we realized they had family issues, and so it's very important to open doors, not judge people, and help them because they might also need support. Right. I think we have time for like two more questions. Um, so one thing I've been thinking a lot about, kind of giving some background, my grandparents have been traveling back and forth from India um, about once a year for about six months to help take care of um, me and my sisters for about 25 years now. And, you know, of course, when you're doing international travel, um, things happen. Uh, they've missed flights. They've slept through flights. Things like that have happened. But there have been a lot of times where they've relied on the goodwill of others to make sure that, you know, they get through a situation, right? Asking to borrow someone's phone or someone translating something or something like that. Um, one time, like just last year when I went to India, I actually fell asleep and there was a gate change announced and they were able to, someone woke me up and was like, hey, we're changing gates. Otherwise, I would have missed my flight. Um, but, you know, talking about the immigration officer, but also just in general, the experience of going through something so difficult and that kind of sense of community we've talked about. While I love, you know, having community and having the ability to rely on each other, um, I wonder what happens when someone chooses not to be um, empathetic. And so my question that, I, once again, more of like just a thought provoking question is, is there a way for us to eliminate the need for relying on the goodwill of others? Is, is there a way to make it so that that's not a necessary part of the experience? One of the, some of the things I thought about was like uh, having state mandated translators or having more signage in more languages or, you know, for some things you can have apps to help out. And so I kind of want to just once again, get your perspective on that. I think, um, yeah. You know, um, technology is very important in the 21st century and it's going to be even more important in the future years. Artificial intelligence as well. Um, but I also think we need 
I really strongly believe that we need to rely on each other and we really need to rely on society because otherwise we would not be different from robots, you know. If you have only artificial intelligence telling you a direction, you'd communicate less with people. You'd stay more at home. You'd not work as closely with your colleagues. You'd not share. Because artificial intelligence has also very big disadvantages. While it helps us and it will help us very much in the future, it will also limit uh, many people communicating from each other and also limit also it might have people might be more isolated more alone and might suffer more from mental health so um, I think it's a good thing that we need to have you know thinking back like 30 years ago we didn't have technology obviously technology um, has made life a lot um, a lot easier but at the same time 30 years ago or 20 years ago people were a lot closer to each other they would share things and now we have lost that part so I'm a little bit concerned about what technology can do in 20 years time, for example, for the future of our kids. Yeah, and also it will never replace human being. It never replace empathy and the, the characteristics that human have or the emotional intelligence. You know, it's not just a machine that we need to know how to use. You know, things happen. We live in real life. And this is real life. This is human supporting human, and um, uh, being being ourselves, which are we are unique. You know, every human is a unique human being, and um, it's it's what holds our community closer. So, I guess I kind of wanted to go back a little bit to the question of like, is there a way to lessen or avoid the burden? Um, that the younger generations have to go through yeah. while commending them for all that they're doing. I mean, to be honest, in order to grow, a person has to go through what they have to go through their, their whole journey. You know, um, I mean, the burdens and um, struggles that um, today's um, society has are completely different from what we had when we were younger people. Um, I think it's just, I think what I would say is just focus on your purpose and focus on your purpose is, is kind of my message and what's important to you. And it's down to an individual to make decisions for their own life, for their own kind of benefit, how they see themselves. But I've also realized that, um, if you do a lot of things and you are involved with so many you know different tasks then obviously your your um your energy kind of runs runs down and you might not be where you want to be so always reach your goal by focusing on your purpose be strategic about it be clever about it always think i'll do this even if it's a, if, even if it's difficult, think about what what can you gain from that difficult journey. You might gain resilience. You might gain confidence. You might gain problem solving skills. You might gain creativity, which are all skills needed for the twenty first um, generation. Okay. Um, all right. And then, kind of just closing it off, um, I was wondering if there's any. Um, thing that you would like to, um, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to share with our audience? Um, yeah. Yeah. 
no. and then also adding on to that, sorry, um, if there's any ways that listeners can get involved with your initiatives or any general actions that you think we should attempt to take. Thank you so much. Well, firstly, I just wanted to thank you, every you, Emily, and you, Sanvi, and uh, the audiences that are hearing our story and that are finding it um, inspiring. So thank you so much, guys, for listening to this podcast. Um, I mean, we, we have just published Good Morning Hope. It's been a bestseller in immigration in the U.S., uh, but also in UK. So I hope you guys have a chance to read and learn about our journey more. But also if you want to get involved in We Speak Science, then you are so welcome to be part of this. We always say to the people who work with us, we're like a big family. We're not like colleagues, we're a big family. And and, and we'd love to have you with us. Again, you have the contact details in the We Speak Science dot com website. And yeah, it would be great to hear from you. And yeah, and saying to Argita, absolutely, I would really appreciate if you can also, you know, um, read our story and get involved with us, get in touch with us. We're very happy to help and we're very happy to inspire other people. We also have our Instagram accounts. I don't know whether it's Argita Zali. So we, we, we publish a lot of We Speak Science and Good Morning Hope book in, in Instagram. So it's Argita Zali and um, Zali Harvard for me. Yeah. And so we, we yeah. We'd love okay. to with you. Okay. Thank you guys so much for sharing your story with us. It was wonderful to talk with you guys. Thank all you right. so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank, you, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. That was Argita and Tatina Zali talking about their journey from Albania to England, as well as their experiences once in the UK. They convey the importance of hope and resilience using their own stories and experiences. And they also talk about two of their initiatives through which they create hope and community while empowering others. To learn more about their story, check out their book, Good Morning Hope, a true story of refugee twin sisters and their triumph over war, poverty, and heartbreak. If you like this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com or at our University of South Carolina email address sosrpa at mailbox.sc.edu. You can find us on social media at Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This show is produced by undergraduate students at the University of South Carolina. Your hosts for this week were Emily Jensen and Sanvi Somani. This episode was edited by Claire Mattes and produced by Rohit Swain. Our executive producers are Claire Mattes and Victoria Halsey. As always, thank you so much for listening. We will see you in the next one.